Good evening, everyone. And for those of you that are at home, good evening. Um, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 24 this evening. Follow along as I read, then we'll pray. I ask then, have they stumbled in order to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their stumbling brings riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full number bring? Now, I am speaking to you, Gentiles, in view of the fact that I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If I can somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them, for if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, if the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not brag that you are better than those branches. But if you do brag, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough. They were broken off by unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you if you remain in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut out, uh, cut off from the native wild olive and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we once again thank you for your word. We do recognize, Lord, that uh, sometimes uh, people come to conclusions that are not in line with uh, what we see. And we also recognize, Lord, that uh, we happen to be among the minority. But as we consider your word, we ask that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to the things that are here and that we would have a good understanding of what you have revealed your plan to restore Israel to the glory that you uh, fully intended for it to have in the future. L Lord, we look forward to that future, knowing that, that then and only then will true peace uh, reign on this earth, because the King of Peace will be here. Thank you now for this time. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So, notice the title here, God has not canceled his promises to Israel Again, uh, within the theological realm, we, dispensationalists, believing that God's going to work with Israel again in the sense of a literal millennial kingdom, um, we are in the minority. Most people out there, either they haven't taken the time to do any study or they're more along the lines of the covenant people where the millennial kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, church has replaced Israel, that kind of a thing. Notice uh, subtitle, uh, his setting Israel aside is passing. 
So, letter A, the purpose of his setting aside. Uh, First thing you need to see here, this is not an afterthought or done out of anger in 11a. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. Now, when we think of falling very often in our own spiritual life, we think of giving into temptation. Uh, I have fallen. Scripturally, you have stumbled. Falling is when you are not walking by faith anymore. Uh, you, you've left it. Okay? Uh, how many times do we stumble? Though he stumbles seven times, he will not be utterly cast out. The whole point being is we do our share of stumbling. And, and in this particular uh, case, Israel as a nation has stumbled. But have they stumbled to the point where they uh, should fall, where they're utterly cast out? The answer is certainly not. Notice, have they through unbelief and disobedience become unsalvageable? And of course, the answer is certainly not. Meganoitu, uh, may it never be. God forbid that uh, Greek saying that is the strongest negative that you can have. He goes on, uh, uh, number two there, stumbling referring to the rejection of the Messiah. Okay, ultimately, and we're going to see that a little bit later, uh, they are going to recognize and uh, receive their Messiah uh, in the future. Letter B, God gave them a spirit of stupor and darkened their eyes. We see that back in verse 8 and 10. Verse 8 says, As it is written, God gave them a spirit of insensitivity, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. Verse 10, let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent continually. So uh, God is the one that has caused this blindness, if you will, to come upon them. But notice, but through their fall, the word fall there is peripatoma, uh, a side slip, a lapse or a deviation, can be an unintentional error or willful transgression. A fall, a fault, an offense, a sin, a trespass. So, but through their fall, we see number two, Gentile salvation. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, Paul has already quoted in chapter 10 and verse 19. He says, but I say, did, did Israel not know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. He is quoting Deuteronomy 32:21 where Moses writes, "They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God." Ah, he only quoted the part that applied, but notice we have a motive for why God is doing this. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. So you can see that uh, Paul at least sees this as God is the one that has done it, and there's a reason for it. Uh, It ultimately comes because of their stumbling. But notice uh, letter C, Jesus said that Gentiles, number one, would come and be a part of the kingdom Israel was promised. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, he says, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, for those who believe that Israel has been cast off completely, a verse like that would seem to back up their opinion, right? Well, think with me for just a minute. We already know because of our previous study that God has promised that he's always going to have a remnant. Uh, If we were to take some time and study through Zechariah and some of the other minor prophets, we would find out that approximately two-thirds are not going to be saved, but one-third is. We would also see through that and the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation that that's all going to happen during the, the tribulation maybe towards the end of the tribulation, where all Israel is going to be saved. But not all Israel is Israel, as has already been argued and will be again before the end of this chapter. Whole point being is uh, the generation that rejected the Messiah, yeah, uh, Matthew 8 fits perfectly. Those people are not going to be there. Okay, but the nation of Israel as a whole doesn't mean that they're all uh, they're all shot. Number two, Jesus said that Gentiles uh, taken from Israel and uh, the kingdom would be taken from Israel and given to those who would bear its fruit in Matthew twenty one forty three. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the the fruits of it. And and again. I think that Jesus is talking to the nation of Israel at, his, at the time that he is there. He's not talking about the nation in perpetuity. He's talking about Israel as a nation. They rejected their Messiah. They're ultimately going to kill him in a couple of chapters. And uh, so, yeah, they're out of it. And then it's given to those who will bear the fruit of the kingdom. That would be the church. Doesn't mean Israel's been cast off completely. It just means that generation, boom, they're done. They don't get any of it. And then, of course, in Matthew 22, 1 to 14, we see the parable of the king who invited strangers to his son's wedding. You might remember he had uh, sent out uh, invitations to all the people that uh, were part of his kingdom. And they all found reasons and excuses not to come. At which point he said, fine, then they're not going to be invited. And he sends out his servants to invite the lame, the homeless, the people that are sitting on the side of the road and all that. Well, those people normally wouldn't have been invited, but they have been because those that were invited chose not to come. So you see that same idea that uh, in that parable. Uh, so, okay, uh, no, letter D. Gentile salvation was ultimately foretold to Abraham. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we look at that as, well, Jesus provides salvation for everybody. Yeah, exactly. For Gentiles, too, not just for the descendants of Abraham. Uh, How about to Moses in Exodus 19.6? It says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. uh, These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, is going to be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? We talked about this last week. They're the go-between between God and a people. 
Well, what people are they going to be the go-between between God and? All the nations, exactly. And so you can see where uh, Moses understood. Well, I don't know how much he understood, but he at least it was revealed to him. How about Isaiah? In uh, Isaiah 49.6, it says, Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore, restore the preserved ones of Israel. Now, he's talking about his servant. Notice what he's said. This is what you're going to do. You're going to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. The preserved ones being the remnant. Okay? When? Well, according to the book of Revelation and some of your minor prophets, at the end of the uh, tribulation. Okay? But notice it goes on to say, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So... God speaking to the Son, you got a twofold job, or threefold if you want to get technical there, okay? And part of it is God has foretold the Gentiles are going to be saved uh, to Isaiah. How about Paul in Acts 13, 46 and 47? Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Quoting Isaiah 49.6. Okay? Obviously, Isaiah 49.6 is specifically speaking of the Messiah, but now those that are under his rule, they're called to do exactly the same thing. Uh, how about Acts 18.6? But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said, Your blood be upon your own heads, for I am clean. For now I will go to the Gentiles. Uh, Acts chapter 28, verses 25 to 28. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet our, uh, to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, you shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceived. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known unto you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. So we see that God has foretold both in the Old and in the New Testament that ultimately Gentiles were going to be a part of his plan, his salvation. So that brings us to the Jewish salvation in verses 11c through 15. Now, depending in the, in the New King James, this portion would have actually been looked at as 11b, but you have to put the subject with the verb and then the prepositional phrase, you know, that kind of thing. So that's why to provoke them to jealousy is actually 11c. The word provoke here is uh, parazelo'o, to stimulate alongside, to excite to rivalry, to provoke to emulation. Uh, You can see this if you watch football at all. Occasionally you'll see one of the leaders of whatever line it is. Could be the offensive line, could be the defensive line. And he's, 
and everybody's jumping up and down. Yeah, yeah. They're getting themselves into a frenzy because they're going to go out there and they're going to bust some heads, right? That's the idea of the provoking, okay? (laughs) Uh, So uh, notice this is an infinitive form, so it carries the idea of purpose. So the salvation of the Gentiles was to provoke. That's the purpose of it, provoke Israel to jealousy. Number three, through, though jealousy is a negative term, God uses it in a positive way. Uh, let me read uh, Romans 10, 19 and 20. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. We already read that. goes on to say, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. So obviously, uh, God's intention uh, was prophesied to work, and of course, uh, it did. So that brings us to letter B. The ultimate purpose was, in the verse, their fullness. Okay? Um, Notice uh, he uses the same word fall, and that's the same word that's up there in uh, A1C, peripatoma, to slip, uh, side slip, to uh, unintentionally error or willful transgression. Uh, does their fall, uh, have they fa- stumbled that they should fall? Absolutely not. So in verse, uh, in this verse, the word failure is hetema, uh, a deterioration, a failure, a loss, a diminishing, or a fault. So Israel was supposed to see the blessings of God on the church and be drawn back to God. Notice the riches uh, for the world and the riches for the Gentiles. Let me uh, look at that verse again here. Um, uh, but, uh, but, uh, there it is. Uh, now, if, the stumb- if their stumbling brings riches to the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles. Uh, when, when you think about God's plan going from working with Israel to the church. Now, remember, the church, according to Ephesians chapter 2, is a mystery, which means it had not been revealed in the Old Testament. If anything, when you look at Daniel chapter 9, you got those 70 weeks. Well, we know 69 of them have been fulfilled, right? And they were fulfilled in a literal seven-year period of time for each week. So there's another seven-week period of time that has not been fulfilled. It's called uh, Daniel's 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, where there's going to be tribulation and great tribulation. See what I'm saying? So we look at the book of Revelation, and we see that as a future event. Some of our brothers and sisters that have kind of spiritualized things and replaced Israel with the church, they see that as happening in 70 A.D. Problem. How many years long did 70 A.D. take? Seven? (laughs) Again, they have to spiritualize. They have to twist and... Kind of like, no, that was one year. And, and maybe it was two or three, okay? When you, when you think about how long did the actual uh, Rome taking over Jerusalem and saying, that's it, we're done. Uh, but it still comes down to, it wasn't seven. And when you think about wars, you can go back and read some of the history of 70 AD. Can I tell you, it was not worse than any other time in history. 
which makes you wonder, wow, you really got to diminish what the book of Revelation says to believe this. And, and again, that's between them and God, but it seems kind of like you read the book of Revelation. Well, what do we got? In one of the um, judgments, a quarter of the people of the world die. Now, they would say it's a quarter of the people of the land. Another, a third of the world perishes. Okay, the land. Another, a third of the world per- I mean, by the time everything is done, I truly expect the population of this world to be well below a billion people. We're looking at about 7.8, 7.9 right now. Rapture the church. How many, are there, uh, uh, how many is the church? Well, wouldn't we like to say 15%? Chances are closer to two. Okay? And then you start killing off those percentages. And then you have all the other judgments where people die. They just don't give us a number. By the time you're done, in fact, Jesus said, you know, if it wasn't for God cutting it short, no one would live. For the elect's sake, he cuts it short. Wow. Uh, so whole point being is, I don't know how 70 AD can possibly fulfill the 70th week of Daniel or the purpose of it in bringing Israel back because has Israel come back yet? And the answer, of course, is no. And of course, they would say that the church replaced them, but the church is a parenthesis between week 69 and week 70. That, that was the point that I was trying to get at. It just took me a long time to get there. <laughs> okay, so uh, we see their fall and their failure, but that brings uh, the riches of the world or the riches uh, for the Gentiles. So all of a sudden we have this church where we have people who were afar off brought near. People that didn't understand life, now they're experiencing life. We're participating in this new covenant where God changes us from the inside out. And uh, so that's the idea of the riches for the world, riches for the Gentiles. Notice the spiritual realities of a transformed life. Once again, we've already reviewed the uh, new covenant a few times. When you look at what the new covenant says... People who think that they can ask Jesus into their heart and continue to live the same old way, they just do not understand what God said salvation is really all about. And mind you, that's not just a few people. That's a good measure of the church that doesn't seem to understand that. I'm not talking about the struggles that we have with temptation, uh, sins that uh, we were addicted to before and struggle with after. I'm talking about people that, uh, you know, uh, God loves the gay people. Sure he does. And he wants to save them so they don't have to continue to be that way because that brings condemnation. And, And forget about the gay people. Let's just talk about gossip. Everybody wants to talk about homosexuality being an abomination. The Bible says gossip is an abomination. Don't you like gossip? I mean... Gossip <laughs> what? The Bible says that gossip is an abomination. God hates it. Okay? We, we kind of... Ooh, it's that tender morsel. You know? Uh, no, God hates it. And so gossipers, what is... If that's truly what they're all about, what's their destination? Same place as the homosexual. Because when God saves someone, the spiritual realities of a transformed life become reality in that person's life. Now, it may take a little bit of time, okay? I've been saved for 41 years. I'm close to perfect, but not 
totally yet. My wife is shaking her head no. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, well, there's a ways to go. Uh, notice the second thing. The witness that would tap their divinely inspired jealousy. Uh, what does that mean? It means that when God transforms you and you're living in the Spirit, people see the difference. Go to 1 Peter 3.15. What do you have? Consecrate the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you because people are going to see it. Well, the Jews were supposed to see the church that way. And hopefully they would come and ask and we would be able to tell them. Uh, Instead, this is unfortunately a part of church history. Anti-Semitism by Gentiles has rivaled Israel's prejudice against the Gentiles, even by the church. If you consider one of the probably biggest Christian denominations in the world and see their role in history, they believed that they needed to conquer the world so that they could present to Jesus a kingdom when he returned. They believed that the Jews had blown it and therefore they were garbage and it didn't matter how you treated them which is, of course, contrary to what the uh, judgment of the sheep and the goats seems to indicate. The way you treated one of the least of these, my brethren, that's the way you treated me. Ouch. Okay? And and it is amazing, even within a Bible-believing church, you will find people that will use these same arguments, that the Jewish people, they they done blown it, so... and, And these would be dispensational people. It's kind of like, no, that's wrong, okay? And, but humans are human. doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, okay? The Jews were supposed to be lights to the Gentiles. They failed miserably. The church is supposed to be a light to the world. It actually did a great job in those first few centuries. And then we had the Dark Ages, <laughs> And hopefully we're doing a little bit better in some ways, but I can promise you we're not doing that good in a lot of other ways. Okay? Uh, Letter C. How much more their fullness. So if their fall, their, their failure brought riches to the world, how much more their fullness? What does that indicate? That there is going to be the fullness for them again, right? That would seem to indicate God's going to work with Israel again. And therefore, when you start looking at his promises, why do we just need to spiritualize them? Why don't we make them literal like everything else? Okay? So the word uh, fullness there is pleroma. It means repletion or completion. What fills as content supplement, uh, copiousness, multitude. What is filled as a container performance period, which is put in to fill up peace that uh, filled up fulfilling full fullness. You get the idea there. Uh, If faithless Israel brought riches or salvation to the world and the Gentiles, what will Israel's faithfulness bring? Oh, 
Well, let's look at a couple of verses. Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they've pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and uh, grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Uh, Zechariah 13.1. In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. 14.9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. It shall be the Lord is one and his name one. 14.11, The people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Uh, 14.16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember what Pastor said about the Jewish feast this morning? No, no, no. The biblical feast during the millennium, Gentiles are going to come and celebrate those feasts. Why? Because they're not Jewish. They're biblical Okay, uh, so th- there's some verses there where you can see where God obviously is going to uh, bring them back to a point of blessing. And then, of course, on the next page, number three, the returning starts in the tribulation, Revelation 7, 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. I, I recently had a lady in here. I asked her, uh, if you were to die today, what would happen to you? Well, I'm going to heaven. How do you know? Because I am one of the 144,000. And I said, well, you got two problems there. Number one, you're not Jewish. And number two, you're not that old. And she looked at me and I said, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, the 144,000 were all chosen in 1917, which means none of you today have an opportunity for that. And then when you get back to the Bible, they're all Jewish from the 12 tribes of Israel, and they haven't been defiled by a woman. Yeah, she's going to have a hard time fulfilling those. (laughs) Not because uh, uh, of anything other than she's not a male and not Jewish and so on. So, uh, yeah, interesting. So it starts then. Now, uh, those 144,000, ultimately we're going to see them again and uh, along with all kinds of other people in chapter 14. Uh, So whole point being is uh, God's doing the work already in, uh, during the tribulation. That's when it really gets going. Towards the end, we see that third uh, part of Israel being saved. So letter D, Paul's calling and its work in verses 13 through 15. He says, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. And because of time, we want to get through all this tonight. You can see in every one of those verses, he talks about being an apostle to the Gentiles, called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Number two, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. So uh, he, he understood part of his job was to be a part of that provoking Israel. Jewish people, so that they might come. Uh, notice uh, number three, for if their cast a- uh, being cast away is the reconcile of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So once again, what does that mean if we're going to spiritualize it and the church replaces Israel? 
There is no acceptance of Israel because Israel's been spiritualized, been replaced. No. Israel is ultimately going to be uh, accepted. Now notice, this is not referring, when we're talking about life from the dead, we're not talking about resurrection of individual bodies. We're talking about Israel's receiving spiritual life as a gracious gift. Let me read a few verses here. Uh, Isaiah 11, 1 to 9. Now you see Revelation 20 there. That's where we have the thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay? And that's part of the promises that God has made to Israel. But let me read Isaiah 11, 1 to 9. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but uh, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. The little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. A nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So a lot of those things that we think about, uh, the promises of old, they're all going to be happening during that millennial reign of Christ uh, because he's going to reign in righteousness. Okay, so that brings us to letter B, the warning from his setting aside. He starts out using irrefutable logic. He says, if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. So the word first fruit there is a parquet, a beginning of sacrifice or the Jewish first fruit. And uh, the first fruit offering was an offering of any kind of animal, grain, and it refers to the first portion in Numbers fifteen nineteen through 21. And it was used to feed the priests in Leviticus 23.10. And I could read those verses for you, but you can look them up also. The first fruits were an acknowledgement that it all belonged to the Lord. Therefore, the lump was also holy. Uh, when we talk about receiving an offering, <clears throat> a lot of people want to talk about the tithe. Do your research. The tithe is in the Old Testament. You will see the tithe mentioned in the Gospels. Why? Because they were still under the Old Covenant. Once you get into the church age, Acts chapter 2 and following, you will not see a tithe anymore. Okay? You see free will offering. And the reality is, is why, why does not mention that tithe aspect, even though so many churches do? Because what is our job when it comes to that which God blesses us with? We're managers of the house. We're stewards. None of it belongs to us. And so we are to determine, between us and God, uh, and to give according to the ability that we have in a hilarious sense. 
Got you on that one, didn't I? <laughs> uh, to give joyfully. <laughs> okay. And, and that's also one of the reasons why you don't hear a lot about giving at this church. Because we walk by faith. Okay. Guess what? You walk by faith also. Okay, so the first fruits offering was an acknowledgement that it all belonged to the Lord. Hmm, I wonder if there was a purpose for putting that in there when we come to the New Testament and realize, hey, it all belongs to God. Just maybe, just maybe, okay? Um, now, if you'll look back at your notes here, let me see, I have to find the right place. There it is. <laughs> uh, letter B, if the root is holy, so are the branches. The root is the foundational part of the plant. So who was the root? Well, we see for Israel that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the root. Okay? So notice the nation of Israel would be holy, or if you will, set apart for God's design. Let me read Isaiah. Oops. Change the page. Isaiah 51, 1 and 2. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. So you can see, from God's perspective, that's where this whole thing started, right? Okay? Now he moves on to the grafting for productivity. I love doing these kinds of sermons where you have to do a little bit of research and you learn stuff. Okay? Um, Y'all know what grafting is, where you uh, cut off a branch from one uh, plant and you slice a branch on another and you put that in there and tape it up, put a little bit of something on it, you know, so it doesn't get any disease. And before you know it, instead of having a peach or a plum, you've got a nectarine. See what I'm saying? Okay, you got a peach tree, you got a branch from a plum tree. You graft it in there, and now it's going to give you a hairless peach. Nectarine. Right? Something like that. You're getting the idea. Maybe I got my fruits all messed up. I don't know. <laughs> okay, the olive tree, an olive tree can live for centuries. I didn't know that. Okay, uh, we got a bunch of trees. Branches are dead; they're falling off. Our, our neighbor just had a big one taken down because every storm <laughs> drops a big branch. So he just okay. Let's just cut the whole thing down. Now I can put my garden back where it was because it was blocking all the sun. But um, the the reality is, is some of these trees they've been around for a while. I mean, this big around they've been around for a while, but I don't think centuries. Okay, they say there's an olive tree over in Jerusalem that is approximately 2,000 years old. I don't know. I'm not going to cut it down and count the rings to find out. You know what I'm saying? But uh, they supposedly can live for centuries. But the older they get, the less productive they become. Okay, uh, it sounds kind of like us as humans, right? The older we get, the harder it is to get anything done. Uh, I used to put five things on my to-do list, get them done by the afternoon. Now I put one and hope I get it done in, in a week. Uh, number two, the, to get better productivity, they would graft branches from younger trees into the branches that had stopped producing. So they would cut off that branch and they would put a younger branch grafted in there 
so that the life that's still flowing through that olive tree would bring forth uh, olives on this new branch. Well, that's the illustration that Paul is going to use here or uh, come from. It says, and if some of the branches were broken off, why were they broken off? Because they were unproductive. You might remember Jesus walks into a town and he sees a fig tree and he goes up to it looking for figs. And the Bible says, though it wasn't the season for figs. And I'm thinking, well, what are he looking for figs for? Well, the fig tree uh, always has figs on it. Either last year's, until they get pushed off by this year's fruit production, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, or, or this year's, you know. Uh, so he was expecting to find figs. All he found was leaves. No fruitfulness. So he cursed the tree. By the time he left town, it was already withering. Uh, the uh, disciples were all kind of wooed, you know, dude. But uh, whole point being is when you have an unproductive branch, you cut it off. But he goes on to say, um, and if some of the branches were broken off and you, Gentiles, being a, a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So you're getting all the life from that root. And, and again, that root being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, this is, these are three of the guys that started the whole thing. But again, are, are they some kind of special? Yes, because God chose to work with them and through them. Other than that, what do you got? You got Abraham that lies. You've got Isaac that would rather have a plate of deer than uh, do what God says. And you have Jacob who finagles and, con uh, uh, you know, he's a con artist. Uh, them by themselves, no, but because God shows uh, they are the thing. So notice, some, not all of the branches were broken off. In Jeremiah 11, 16 and 17, it says, The Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. Uh, so you can see there that uh, God is the one that's doing all of this work. Some, not all of the branches were broken off. Notice, always a remnant among them or with them. Romans 4.11. And he received the sign of circumcision, the sign of righteousness of the faith, which he had uh, while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So by the example of Abraham, anyone who believed, whether they were circumcised or uncircumcised, and God has always had a remnant of those that were of the circumcision. Number two, the command, because of the known tendency toward arrogant, presumptuous pride. Huh? Well, let me read a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Who's Paul talking to? Well, he's talking to a whole church. Wait a minute. These are saved people. Nobody in this church has a problem with pride. And my wife 
shakes her head again. <laughs> uh, how about Romans twelve sixteen? Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Uh, I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, you know, I have an education when it comes to the Bible. Uh, I think I know a lot of things. I'm, I'm not uh, a dummy. But the more I walk with the Lord, the more I recognize, well, I think I understand this this way. But I'm open if God wants to change my mind on that thing. Because the reality is, is I'm not going to be putting God in a box if I can help it. And, and that's what a lot of times my theology has done over the years and other people's also. So it's always a possible problem. Notice... Uh, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So the Gentiles were not the source of blessing, Israel was. Which, if you want to think about it, do not boast against the branches. No, no, we're better than you are. The church is better than Israel. That, that's the idea there. No, we're not. Okay. We actually get just about everything that we have from the foundation that was laid through Israel. Uh, that's why we call it a Judeo-Christian uh, ethic and all that kind of stuff, uh, or belief system. Um, how the pride would be shown. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And again, whether you're talking about the individual or the church, uh, Paul goes on and gives an answer. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Uh, when you think of what, what is our biggest problem when it comes to the struggles that we face? And it really comes down to we're not believing. You know, it's, it's unbelief. We're not a lot different than Israel. Now, we may not show it by bowing down to an idol, but... We may have idolatry in our hearts when we chase after things that do not bring that which only God can bring. He goes on to say, Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Now, again, I'm not so sure that this is talking about an individual concept as much as it is about churches. And it, again, we're, we're studying church history on Wednesday night. Right now we're still in the book of Acts, but we're actually going to get into a little bit of church history probably after the beginning of the year. But in looking at church history, the church has been pretty haughty at times, especially when talking about Israel and stuff like that. So uh, you, you can say, well, uh, how about uh, the church of Ephesus, uh, the book of Revelation? You know, you got your doctrine right. You know those false teachers. You can, but love. You kind of missed it on that point. And if you don't get it straight, I'm going to remove your candle. By 300 AD, there is no church at Ephesus. So whole point being is church hasn't always gotten it right either. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
Uh, so, you know, that was what we were like. We get to participate in the promises that were made to Israel. So there's no uh, reason to be haughty. Number three, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. The word for severity there is apotomia, decisiveness, rigor, severity. It comes from the word, uh, root word ekoptu, which is how this verse ends. The word cut off is ekoptu. Uh, the fall there is pipto, to fall, fail, fall down, light on. It connotes failure to complete, ruin, or falling from spiritual opportunity to judgment. Did Israel fall like that? Sure. They, they had spiritual opportunity. Uh, Jesus even said, if you would accept it, this was John the Baptist talking about uh, John. Okay? If you would have accepted, this would have been Elijah, I'm sorry, um, but he knew they weren't going to. So he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but it wasn't Elijah. So... Uh, uh, they will be, you will be cut off, he goes on to say. And again, the word there to uh, frustrate or cut down, cut off, cut out, to hewn down, to hinder. Uh, notice, continuing in his, in his goodness, this is nothing more than what uh, Calvin called the perseverance of the saints. Probably a better way of saying it would be the perseverance of the Holy Spirit. Again, when you go to the new covenant and see what God is doing, he is changing you from the inside out. A person that has been changed will not walk away. Okay? It is the Spirit of God that... Now, does that mean he's always going to get it right and maybe won't have his moments of rebellion? Oh, no, but what does the loving Father do? He disciplines. And there is a sin unto death for believers. James chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. Why would there be a sin unto death? Because while being disciplined, you continued to have that hard heart. Oh, well, then you're not doing any, any good there. Boom. Uh, whole point being is uh, the perseverance of the Holy Spirit. Let me read a couple of verses here. John eight thirty one, And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So what if they didn't? Well, then they wouldn't be his disciples, would they? Uh, John 15, 5 and 6, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Huh. That would seem to indicate that some branches might not be really attached Okay, in the illustration. How about Colossians 1, and 23? If the body of his flesh through death, or in the body of his death, uh, flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Notice this idea of... Um, if you continue in the faith. Now, please understand something. If he's going to present you, ho uh, let me see, uh, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, who's doing all the work? 
He is, right? If indeed you continue in the faith, what's your part? You're, you're going to keep on going to him. You're going to abide. You're going to uh, walk with him. Um, and, th- and then you're going to be grounded and steadfast. You're not going to be moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Uh, one of the things I see on social media is a lot of, of these people that call them ex-evangelicals, people who have left the evangelical church. Now, please understand something. I'm not saying that these people are not saved. In some cases, that might be the case. But in other cases, they got their nose bent out of joint about something. And I'll be honest with you, I know the church well enough to know that, yeah, someone probably did something to hurt their feelings. Okay? Um, That's why the Bible talks about uh, forbearing with one another. (laughs) <laughs> in love. Um, and sometimes we're not the most pleasant people to each other. And so here they're giving you all the reasons why they left the church. And without fail, there's a little bit of bitterness in there and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, again, not saying that they're not saved, but let me read a couple more verses. Um, well, I'll read the last one for you. They went out from us but they were not of us, 1 John 2, 19. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them uh, were of us. Uh, Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ as a son over the house, over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Again, the responsibility of the Christian is to continue to walk with him. Uh, Verses 12 through 14. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And then Hebrews 4.11, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Uh, The rest that he's speaking of in chapter 4, all the way through uh, 3 and 4, I believe it is, is uh, the rest that God offered to those who were going to be entering the land. He offered it through Moses, again through Joshua, again through David. There is yet a rest Okay, and now we see that it's basically the concept of the abiding life, the spirit-filled life. We experience a Sabbath rest, if you will, not Saturday, but every day when it's not us that's doing it, but him doing it in and through us. Okay, so whole point being is, what's our job? Continue, continue. Continue. Walk with him. Abide in him. Let his words abide in you. He's the one that does all the work otherwise. So there are those that do fall away, but the indications from Scripture is they weren't really one of us. And it's the perseverance of the saints is the doctrine that it's called. It's really the perseverance of the Holy Spirit because if the Holy Spirit has truly transformed you on the inside, he's going to keep on dragging you back. And again, if you're unwilling to come back, well, he's got a solution for that too. You're not going to like it. (laughs) Okay? So that brings us to the last part here. 
Um, letter C, the definite promise from his setting aside in verses 23 through 24. So first of all, we see a condition uh, stated here for their return. It says in 23, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. So uh, they also, speaking of, again, the nation of Israel, if they do not continue in unbelief. You know, Jews are still being saved today. Uh, if you uh, get to Marty Zide's, uh prayer letter from time to time. You can see where here's a Jewish guy talking to a bunch of Jewish people about their Messiah. And occasionally he talks about someone who who gets saved. Uh, There's lots of organizations that are doing that. Chosen People Ministries, uh, Jews for Jesus. And and some of them don't like each other, but hey, some of Christians don't like other Christians too. (laughs) But my whole point being is God is still saving Jewish people. They become part of the church in this age. Ultimately, uh, he is going to do it to them if, as a nation when they do not continue in unbelief. Notice number two, God's promise, return of Israel. This is a work in the heart of the nation. Uh, again, we've already read Zechariah 12.10, but I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for the firstborn. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.16, talking about Israel still having a veil over their eyes every time the law is read. But in verse 16 it says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When they turn to Christ, they're going to see what they've been missing all that time. So uh, this is a work in the heart of the nation. The individual is still going on, but it's talking about the nation here. Notice this is a work of God. Uh, Ezekiel 37, 1 to 6. Um, Let me read it. We can talk about it afterwards. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of of the valley. And it it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Boy, that's a good answer. Like I said, the, more, the longer I've lived, walked with the Lord, the more I understand, I think this is what it says, but we're leaving it open for God to let us know. <laughs> okay, O Lord, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath on uh, in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So again, this is obviously a work of God. Why? Because the picture here is the nation of Israel is a valley of dry bones. There's no meat left, okay? They're just dead old bones. If you were to cut them in half, there's no marrow. There's no life-giving essence. And yet, we see here in uh, verse 24 that they will be grafted in. 
Uh, Again, notice this is a passive voice. In other words, they're not doing it. God is doing it to them. For God is able to graft them in again. Uh, Once again, a lot of times when we talk about what God can or will do, God is smaller than He really is. We we don't think that He can take care of a, a small problem. He is going to bring a dead nation, a spiritually dead nation, back to life. I don't think most of our problems fall into that category. Okay? And, and again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pray about them. Sure. But that's because He is the God that can take care of these things. And then number three there, divine protection of God's property and the remnant during the tribulation. In Revelation 11, it's actually verses 1 and 2. Then I uh, was given a reed uh, like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So this is a promise of divine protection for God's property and the remnant during the uh, tribulation. Uh, So that brings us to God's ability. That which was done contrary to nature. So in verse 24, he says, uh, there we go, for if you were cut off from your native wild olive and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So he's already done that which is contrary to nature. Okay, you Gentiles cut off out of a, a wild olive tree uh, or an olive tree that is wild by nature and you are grafted into a cultivated olive tree. So that's against nature. He's already done that. So for the, e- the easy part for God is how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And again, we're breaking off unproducing branches, old branches that they're not giving fruit anymore. Well, we're taking dry bones and making them into human beings again and breathing life into them. So can he take that regular branch that belongs there and put it back in? And the idea is, yeah, that's easy because he already did the hard part. Save Gentiles. Okay, so that is what we see here that, again, I don't know how you read chapters 9, 10, and 11 and come away thinking that the church has somehow uh, taken over position and, oh, well, for Israel. Uh, And we're not even finished with chapter 11 yet. We still got a few more things to see here. Whole point being is, if you look at the scripture, it seems to... Prove without a shadow of a doubt, God is going to work with Israel again. He's going to be doing it through that 70th week of Daniel. He's going to bring the nation as a whole. And again, the whole, not all Israel is Israel, but all Israel is going to be saved. Okay? He's going to bring the nation as a whole to himself. And they are going to be in his plan just like he promised in the Old Testament. They're going to be the nation that everybody's going to be looking to during that millennial kingdom. 
and they're going to be the blessed ones. And everybody's going to want to grab a hold of them and say, hey, teach us about the Lord, because they're all going to know him, because that's all part of the new covenant. So, all right. Well, I really thought with three pages we were going to take longer than we did. So praise the Lord, we're... uh, we're done. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. And pastor's going to be here on Wednesday night, I think, and give us a little bit more on that church history class. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are faithful, that you made a lot of promises to Israel as a nation. And yes, we recognize that they have failed. They have fallen, but not to utterly be cast down. Uh, You are able to hold them up, making them a part of the church at this time, and ultimately lifting them up again uh, to be the nation of uh, blessing that you have promised them to be. And with that in mind, we uh, do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We know that ultimately that is only going to happen when all of these other things come to pass. And so we look forward to that and thank you that uh, you are going to not only prove yourself to be faithful to Israel, but as you have already done in so many ways, proving your faithfulness to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.